0: Welcome to this conversation. My guests today are here to talk about a very important issue in the state of Virginia, redistricting. We have new maps, and our votes may count to different representatives than they have before. It's all very confusing, but our guests are going to straighten that out for us. I have with me Peggy Lane. Peggy is a retired engineer and college administrator uh, with Virginia Tech in Blacksburg. And Chris DeRosa is from the Arlington area. She's a volunteer. Both are volunteers with the League of Women Voters. Specifically, in Chris's case especially, related to redistricting issues, and Peggy knows a lot about that as well. Thank you both very much for being here with me today. Very happy to be here. Let me just have you each say an introductory statement, just so maybe listeners can identify your voices, because with two guests, it's sometimes a little more complicated. Peggy, how long have you been involved in this issue of redistricting with the League of Women Voters?
1: Well, I'm really uh, something of a newcomer, both to the League and to redistricting. I got involved two years ago, which was when I retired from Virginia Tech, and a friend of mine recruited me to join the local league in Montgomery County, Virginia. And that was just about the time that we were really in high gear supporting the constitutional amendment that was passed here in Virginia in 2020. And Chris has been involved in that for many, many years, so she has a a much more extensive background than I do. But I have to say, in, in the last year, I've learned more about redistricting than I ever thought I wanted to know. (laughs)
0: Well, I'm glad somebody's done it because I have failed in my civic duty on this matter. Chris, what brought you to the topic?
2: Well, I uh, became a member, a league member, maybe one or two years before Peggy. So I'm a relative newcomer as well. And I just heard some speakers talking about redistricting and the constitutional amendment they were hoping to pass and just became more interested in that and became
0: a volunteer. And I was asked to chair the redistricting issues group for the league. I admire the work that both of you have done. And let's jump into the issue. We all should know and probably have participated in the redistricting issue, if nothing else, simply by casting a vote for a constitutional amendment for or against. So tell us about this constitutional amendment and where where it came from, what the goal was and where we are now. One of the original
2: goals for the Constitution Amendment, as proposed by groups such as One Virginia 2021, was to have an all-citizen commission that would uh, take redistricting out of the hands of the legislators and put it in the hands of citizens who could independently and in a nonpartisan way draw new maps for the Commonwealth. The Constitution Amendment became kind of a hybrid A bipartisan commission that had citizens as well as legislators on it. The League was one of the groups that worked hard to encourage voters to vote for the constitutional amendment and to contact their legislators to approve it in the General Assembly. In November of 2020, we were pleased when almost two-thirds of the Virginia's
0: voters voted yes on
2: the Constitution Amendment.
0: The way you said that just makes it sound absolutely wonderful. We're taking this power out of the hands of the legislature and putting it in the hands of the people, and we're going to redistrict. We all voted one way or the other on that issue, and it passed. But
1: did we get the power to the people, or did we not?
0: Peggy, you want to take this one?
1: Well, I I think that's a, a matter of perspective. The commission... Uh, that was established as a result of the constitutional amendment wasn't a, p- a pure citizens commission. As Chris said, it's made up of half members of the General Assembly and half citizens who are not members of the General Assembly. And that commission really struggled to be able to work in a bipartisan fashion because of the the way that the citizen members were appointed and the legislative members were appointed. It, r- it really was split on party lines and and had a really hard time coming to a consensus. But what the commission did was open up the process to the sunlight of uh, information so that citizens could watch all of the deliberations of the commission. And they were also required to hold public hearings. And because of the COVID pandemic, they did all of this online so that we were able to watch from the the comfort of our own homes, as it were, uh, all of the discussions uh, that the commission had and all of the input that they took from citizens. So both during the uh, online public hearings and through email submissions and through the ability to post comments on interactive draft maps, the public had lots of opportunity to voice our opinions on what we thought about both the process and the uh, drafts as they were developed. Let's just let's just say
0: this. They failed, Peggy. You were diplomatic. They failed, didn't they? This group.
1: The commission was unable to come up with a consensus on maps and was unable to forward proposed maps to the General Assembly. So that is true. They were unable to accomplish their Task as a. Sign. You are so
0: diplomatic. They fought like cats and dogs, just like we knew they did. They would. They broke down on
1: party lines and couldn't make an agreement. And there we were. I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I have to say that I was tremendously impressed with the effort that particularly several of the citizen members of the commission put into trying to find ways to come to an agreement. Uh, and it was clear how frustrated they were that the the attempts that they were making were not being not being taken up by their colleagues.
0: I have to agree with
1: Peggy. That's Um, very
0: nice of you both. And that's clearly (laughs) why you're involved. You haven't given in to cynicism. So tell us more, Chris. (laughs) Well, uh, as
2: Peggy was saying, this was a new process for Virginia. It's never been done. In fact, um, no, no other state in the country has ever had the legislator give up part of their power to do redistricting. And with the sunlight that was shed, the transparency where we could attend every single meeting and hearing was pretty amazing for the the Commonwealth. So even though it was frustrating at times to see them fail in their attempts to reach consensus, it was still something that the citizens could finally participate in. Um, And I think that we have to say a lot for that. And as Peggy also said, uh, many of the commissioners did try their very best. They listened to the public, to our comments written and spoken, and referred to that many times during their
0: deliberations. Well, I know that the League had supported the position of passing the constitutional amendment and setting up this commission. So you still feel good about that When, when this commission... I won't say failed. I'll say failed <laughs> to reach an agreement, or were unable right. to reach an agreement, as Peggy said. So what happened then? There in Plan B. Well, according to the constitutional amendment, which again the
2: citizens of Virginia passed, in case of a failure on the part of the commission to come up with maps, then the power to redistrict or draw new maps would fall to the Supreme Court of Virginia, which it did. Um, Virginia Code was amended and it directed the courts to appoint two special masters or experts to draw the new maps. And uh, those two experts were appointed and were given uh, very clear directions about submitting maps to the court for its approval. Uh, And that has been done.
0: So it has been finalized and it will be in effect for the November, the midterm elections that everybody's already talking about. But can we back up just a little bit And talk about what is the problem of gerrymandering? How bad was it that you both were working so hard and spending so much time to support these efforts to make changes? Well, with gerrymandering and what has been done before is the legislators,
2: whichever political party was in the majority, in the House and in the Senate, drew their own maps. And they did it behind closed doors. No one knew what was going on. Um, And they basically drew it to protect their own seats and their majority in their respective houses. And that did, in fact, happen over the last decade. We've ended up in the courts several times to correct some of the errors that were made. One of the problems with gerrymandering that I see is incumbent protection. Uh, When they drew their maps, they often drew the maps or the boundaries so that they would not have stiff competition in their primaries or in their general election.
1: One way to describe it, is the the legislators were picking their voters rather than the voters being able to pick their legislators.
0: Can you get specific if you're Democratic or Republican, what kind of voter do you want and where do you find them and how do they know that?
1: It's amazing (laughs) the amount of data that's available not only to the legislators and to people who are experts in this, but to us as members of the public. That was one of the things that I really learned about over the last year is that if you're computer savvy and understand using online tools, there's some really powerful available uh, resources that anybody you or i or anybody can go to uh, with your computer and look at where the census data is where the boundaries have been drawn in the past how people have voted in the past what the demographics are of your community and adjacent communities legislators and citizens and experts and anybody who wants to draw a map can go in and with your computer pick The different census blocks based on population and voting history to paste together into a voting district.
0: Let me give you an example and risk showing my ignorance, but just in broad sweeps of generality, metropolitan areas generally vote more Democratic. So if I'm a Republican legislator, I can go in and draw a map and circle around the borders of, say, in Virginia Roanoke or circle around the voters in Richmond and keep in a rural area, and then I'm much more likely to win election if I'm a Republican.
2: That that's pretty much. You want to talk about
0: packing
1: and cracking? Packing mm-hmm.
2: and cracking. What does that mean? Well, packing and cracking is one way you can uh, sway the results of an election. Generally, it's referred to um, referring to black voters in a district. If you pack them, you put a lot of them into one district, so they will elect one say congressman or woman, but then there are fewer of them in the neighboring districts where they have no say. Cracking would be the opposite, where you split the African-American voting population into such small minority populations in different districts that, again, they cannot elect representatives or their choice. Voting. So
1: similar to Teresa's example earlier, if you look at Roanoke, which is an area of southwest Virginia that tends to vote Democrat, Democratic, you could pack all of the Democratic voters into one district around the city of Roanoke, leaving the other surrounding areas, which would tend to vote more Republican, or you can split the city of of Roanoke up into little slivers, dividing up all those Democratic voters and putting them into districts with voters who tend to vote a different way. And so their voices would not be able to be heard.
0: And therefore, the idea of one person, one vote just gets kind of smashed. I heard an example about the state of North Carolina, and you might be able to give us one for Virginia, but somebody told me that in North Carolina, as would be expected in most of the country, I guess, if you divide up the population of a state, it's like half the people are going to vote Democratic and half of them are going to vote Republican. That's the case in North Carolina. 50% vote Democratic. And yet, 70% 70% of the legislative seats in North Carolina, 70% of the seats in North Carolina are held by Republicans. Absolutely. And do we have something like that in Virginia? How did we know we had a problem in Virginia?
1: Well, one way is looking at the map and seeing all those squiggly lines for the, for the districts. The, I think the poster child, one of the post, at least one of the poster children for gerrymandering in Virginia was the, the fifth congressional district which ran from the North Carolina border practically to the border of Maryland, straight up through the, the middle of the Piedmont from south side through the Piedmont and up into northern Virginia. And that has in the latest round of redistricting through the special masters, that uh, map has been changed quite a bit.
0: I love that expression, packing and cracking. That makes it, that's helpful actually to understand it. And so you're talking about how we had these weird districts drawn. One case, somebody told me, I don't know if this is in Virginia, 20 miles wide and 300 miles long, and that is a voting district. That would be an example of the problem. So now the Supreme Court has approved new maps. Where do we stand? How is it? Is it better? How do we know? Well, it's
2: better in many ways. One of the criteria that the special masters had to follow was that the districts be more compact. Um, They found that the districts in general were much more compact than they were before. So you don't have a a CD5, for example, that stretches several hundred miles.
1: The the most compact a district could be would say that it would be about the same distance from the center to the edge. So a circle would be the most compact district that you could Mm -hmm. draw, right? And a, and a, a long skinny squiggle that looks like a snake would be very not compact because it'd be a very long distance from some parts of the district to other parts of the district. And so when you when you look at the newly redrawn districts that the Supreme Court special masters have put out for us, they are much more compact than the, the previous versions. And another criteria that they weighted very highly was um, maintaining municipal boundaries. So trying to keep counties and cities and towns together rather than splitting them up. And I think one of the analyses from the Virginia Public Access Project showed that there was half as many county splits in the new districts as in the past districts.
0: That's right. Let me interrupt just one second uh, to remind listeners that I'm talking to Peggy Lane and Chris DeRosa. They have both been very active in the issue of redistricting in Virginia. Virginia approved redistricting. The Supreme Court just approved a map, the Supreme Court of Virginia. And so when we vote in November... We're going to be using a different system. Did you all have anything else to add on how well you think that the Supreme Court did on finalizing this map?
2: Well, one thing I'd like to point out is that all of the votes that the Supreme Court justices took regarding this process was by unanimous votes, including the final decision to accept these maps as final. So it was not a partisan split. They did not show any partisanship in their votes. And I think that's something that we are very pleased with.
0: That sounds wonderful. We'll pause and have a drum roll for that, that <laughs> the Virginia Supreme Court did not vote along partisan
1: split. So that is a very encouraging sign. Teresa, I just want to reiterate one of the things that you just said a few minutes ago, and that's the the principle of one person, one vote, which is really the, the overriding requirement for drawing new districts is to balance the population. So when we start talking about some of the changes made in, in Southwest Virginia, it's really that population criterion that's driving many of those changes. And, and some people say, well, I, I really want my city to be a district all by itself. And right. that that would be nice, but that doesn't meet the population criteria in many cases. And that's why we end up having to incorporate additional areas into a district in order to balance out the population counts.
0: Let's take a look very specifically at Southwest Virginia now, what will be different?
1: The driving criteria for the changes in, in the Southwest were primarily because the population in that part of the state is declining. So for example, the 9th congressional district had to expand in order to uh, continue to balance out the, the population counts. That meant that the ninth district had to expand east over the mountains into over to Martinsville. The, this districting affects the federal elections. And that would be so you're
0: talking mm-hmm. about the district in our area that's represented by Congressman Morgan Griffith, who is a Republican. He was losing population. So now he has to drive farther, or did they
1: manage to compact it? They've actually drawn Morgan Griffith out of his district. He, he actually lives in Salem, which is on kind of the northern border of the 9th district. And when he was first elected, Salem was not part of the 9th district. And then after the 2010 redistricting, Salem became part of the 9th district. And Salem is now no longer part of the 9th district. It's moved into the 6th district. Morgan no longer lives within the boundaries of the 9th district. But There is no residency requirement for uh, the House of Representatives for the United States Congress. So he has already announced that he will run again to represent the ninth District, even though he doesn't actually live in the district. He's just across the border in Salem.
0: And now legislature can't go back and draw somebody into a district, which is what happened with Morgan Griffith. I remember he was elected and then they redrew the maps and included him. So now he's excluded (laughs) again. And that's the federal issue in our area. What about what's happened with the state legislature in the voting districts?
1: Well, Virginia does have a residency requirement for the General Assembly. So if a member of the General Assembly no longer lives in the, the district that they want to represent, they're going to have to relocate in order to, to stay in that district. And as as we alluded to earlier about the, the criteria that the special masters used, they did not look at incumbent locations when they drew the districts for the general assembly so we have quite a few districts now that have multiple incumbents and some districts that have no incumbent. and in in particular in southwest virginia because as we mentioned earlier that the population is declining in many areas some of those state legislative districts also had to grow bigger and encompass uh, different portions of different counties and, and cities in that part of the state
0: So Peggy Lane, when we look at the overall new state map in Virginia regarding redistricting, some Democrats have complained that their female representatives have been put at a disadvantage. What does that mean? Do you have any insight into that question?
1: Well, a couple of the women members of Congress from Virginia who happened to be Democrats were elected in highly competitive districts the last couple of elections. And so they started out in districts that were already highly competitive. And because the special masters, when they redrew the district lines, did not consider incumbent addresses, one of them is one of the the women that the Democrats are referring to, the one uh, in the um, Hampton Roads, Virginia Beach area. Is, in, is still in a highly competitive district. In fact, I believe that's the only district in the state that they're rating as, as a true swing district. That's almost 50-50 Democrat and Republican based on historic uh, voting trends. And the woman in the central part of the state, what was the seventh district, uh, in, lives in the Richmond suburbs, I believe. And she was also in a very competitive election the last couple times around. And the, the district that's now labeled the seventh has moved slightly north and West, So she no longer lives in that district. The, the latest news I've seen indicates that she intends to run in that district again, even though her residence is not actually in the district, which is okay for the United States Congress, because the legal requirement is that members of Congress only have to live in the state, they don't have actually have to live within the boundaries of the district they're running in. So you could we'll see-, see what the voters think about that.
0: You could see this issue as a Democratic issue. You can also see it as a gender issue. But let's look at the race issue. There's also been some discussion that Black constituents were packed into the third and fourth districts. I saw somebody describe that as a minority-majority district. So what is your opinion of that? And what does minority-majority mean?
1: Well, I believe that the, the Voting Rights Act calls for populations to be able to elect a representative of their choice. So that historically has meant that a district has a majority of non-white voters, then that gives those non-white voters the opportunity to elect a representative of their choice. I'm far from an expert on this issue, and it is a highly complex and highly litigated issue, so I'm, I'm really uh, hesitant to make any, any broad statements other than I can say that one of the special masters, uh, Dr. Grofman, is the same person who drew the last version of the maps, which were put in place as a result of a court challenge on exactly that issue related to racially polarized voting in those districts. So he certainly is familiar with Virginia's history in those districts. There are also uh, various ways you can analyze, uh, based on population and, and voting trends, what the impact of new district lines are. And there's a, a group of experts at Princeton University called the Princeton Gerrymandering Project who have done a lot of those kinds of analyses. Now they haven't, I don't think they've had time to do the final analyses of the final maps that were just released last week, right? Because it was during the holidays, but they did do an analysis of the draft maps that were released a couple of weeks earlier and they uh, gave them very high marks in terms of the variety of metrics that they used to analyze voting districts.
0: Representative William Wampler, a state legislator, has lost his seat, I understand. What, where is that? What does that mean, and how did that happen?
1: Well, I, I suppose that depends on your perspective. You know, as as we were saying earlier, the seats don't belong to the legislators, the seats right. belong to the voters. So the the districts, yes, the the boundaries of the districts have changed so and there are fewer fewer districts in southwest virginia because of the population issue as we mentioned before so there will actually be fewer members from southwest virginia in the house of delegates as a result so fewer of that,
0: so. districts in southwest virginia fewer representatives in the house of delegates
1: yeah well they they've done a really good job of keeping counties together not splitting them up that was one of the things that people who commented on the draft maps asked for and i think in general the folks in those areas are are fairly satisfied with them so there's going to be a lot of of shuffling going on in the general assembly in the next two years and the other issue that i think is still undecided chris may know a little more about this is uh, there's currently a, a lawsuit working its way through the system about whether we're going to have to have new uh, elections for the House of Delegates next year, or whether we're going to allow the folks that we just elected in November to serve out their two-year terms, uh, even though their districts have changed, and then uh, run uh, again for the House in two more years.
0: Well, as you all demonstrate, and again, my great respect to you for the work you've done, but Uh, Being a citizen theoretically involves a lot of responsibility and a lot of work, and we are going to have to pay close attention to see what's changed in our areas and maybe pay a little more attention to platforms and candidates than we've typically done in the past. Where do we stand on the larger issue of voting rights nationwide? I know you've worked a lot in Virginia, but I'm sure that's informed you a lot in a larger view.
1: Chris, do you wanna say something about the uh, restoration of rights issue that the league is advocating for? These are certainly issues that the League of Women Voters is is really prioritizing because that's what the league is all about, is voting rights and making sure that citizens have the information that they need to make informed decisions. Mm -hmm. In Virginia, we've got a a push this year to uh, change the laws around restoration of voting rights for people who've been convicted of crimes.
2: Right, so there is a constitutional amendment that has passed once in the General Assembly. It would need to pass again in uh, the coming months. And then it would go to the voters for a referendum in November, 2022, if it passes the General Assembly. So currently anyone convicted of a felony in Virginia loses their uh, voting rights while they're imprisoned. And even after they uh, complete their sentence, they no longer have, the right to vote in any election until their rights are restored by the governor and that usually is not until they have completed all of their uh requirements for probation and supervision we're trying to change that we had hoped the league had hoped a hope for universal right to vote which would be you would never lose your right to vote uh, no matter your uh status as a you know a felon or not uh that was changed in the general assembly so now it would be an automatic restoration of your rights the moment that you complete your sentence. Um, And we think that's very important because these people have been punished for any crimes they were convicted of, and they should become a participating citizen once they return to their communities.
0: So one person, one vote, you're, again, emphasizing that in the League, as we know, works to try to ensure that everybody votes. Let me ask you one bigger question. On a national level, and having each of our votes count, and we, we started this conversation by saying that the process began with trying to get the power out of the hands of the legislators and into the hands of the people. But on a national level now, we're wondering about whether the votes that we cast in the state will count.
2: I know there are movements. Um, one is called the National Popular Vote Um I don't know all the details on that uh we we do have an issues group i think looking at that in virginia the league of women voters of virginia Peggy, do you know of another one
1: well i i was just going to point out that we're fortunate that virginia passed a state level voting rights act that has really helped that's uh, a good point access access to the polls here in virginia and the league is very active at the national level advocating for Passage of voting rights legislation at the federal level that would make sure that our elections are secure and everybody's vote counts. And that's a, a really critical issue. And there are many different um, sort of nitty gritty details about how to implement that that are being discussed right now. And the League is, is very much involved with those issues. Great. Before we go any further, let me just
0: ask you just for a very quick overview of what the League of Women Voters does.
2: Well, the League of Women Voters is comprised of several thousand volunteers, men and women in Virginia. And one of the things that we strive for is to make sure that all people have the right to vote, uh, that it's not taken away from them for various reasons. One of the things we're going to be working for in the future will be to remove the witness requirement for mail-in ballots. Uh, It was allowed during the emergency that was declared by the governor, but is now back in force. So we'd like to remove that requirement to allow all people to vote by mail who want to, whether they are alone in their
1: apartment and can't find
2: someone to uh, witness their ballot.
1: I'll just say that the, the League of Women Voters was founded after the passage of the 19th Amendment Uh, affirming women's right to vote in the United States, and with the the overall mission of ensuring that democracy works best when everyone participates.
0: Well, again, I'd like to thank the both of you for being with us, uh, that from the time that women got the right to vote and before, that women have been working aggressively and continue to do so to try to protect this precious, precious right that we have. So thanks again for your work, and thanks especially for being with me today here on this conversation. Thank you. Peggy Lane and Chris Rosa of the League of Women Voters, always working to make sure that our votes count. Thank you for listening to WEHC. Thank you for listening to this conversation. You can hear the program on Wednesdays at six, Sundays at two. Please stay tuned.